So how much to indecent propose you, Brett? Oh, probably not much. <laughs> no, I can't imagine it would be much. Um, even for just like a Dr. Pepper and some candy. Wait, so you're telling me that you would sell yourself for a Dr. Pepper and candy? I like Dr. Pepper and candy. <laughs> I don't know what to say. Why? Why are, Do you have like a specific number in mind? Are you going the hardball route of... You know, I was thinking about it before this. I mean, I thought it's the obvious question, right? To launch up, launch off what's going to be our topic. But I wasn't, I don't know. I don't, I'm not sure I can put a price on it. I will tell you one thing. I would give away national secrets for a great massage. You give me an amazing massage You could go from my worst enemy to my best friend. I'm incapable of arguing with anybody if they're giving me a great massage. Like, I'm just, it's just that that's it for me. So I think a great massage could definitely put me into the life. Like, you know, there's like a whole science to pimping or whatever and, and, and hooking girls in. But for me, it would just take great massages. Actually, Sonia and I have joked before about me hiring a prostitute just to have her give me a back rub because I don't like <sighs> massages. And so, like, I, I don't I don't enjoy going difference? out. What is the difference between a back rub and a massage? Well, if if you have to ask, then who oh boy. <laughs> <laughs> um i so yeah i don't know like i i would feel weird going to a massage therapist and asking for just a simple back rub um like it's it's not as involved it's just there's an art to it and um uh sonia sonia just her her back rubs are are good i like her back rubs but if i could well if i could get a professional back rub i think that would be pretty nice (laughs) But yeah, I don't I don't need sex. I just need a back rub. Professional back rubbers chime in. Yeah. Well, now that we figured out what we're both whores for, <laughs> let's go forth. Necromancer. Necromancer. I'm Shira, and I like romantic comedies. I'm Brett, and I like horror movies. <laughs> Every week here on Necromancer, I pick a rom com, Brett picks a horror movie, and then we flip flop those movies. We turn the rom com into a horror, and the horror into a precious little rom com fairy tale like Pretty Woman. And if you haven't guessed already, this week's theme is sex workers, the oldest profession, ladies yeah. of the night. That That's my favorite um, code word for them, ladies of the night. Ladies of the night does sound very classy, uh, more than, than streetwalker. I also like the Italians when they're like, she lives the life. <laughs> and it's just that's what it's called the life right yeah it's because a, yeah what is it it's the life it is the life yeah it's a pretty nice one 
I also like the world's oldest profession. Yeah, that's a pretty good one, too. Um, and it's true. I, I don't know. I would like to think that our podcast is pretty sex positive, pretty pro sex work, legal sex work, protection for sex workers. Uh, I really liked in Frankenhooker yeah. when one of the sex worker, um, I think she had like an organization called Hooker. Uh, right. And she was talking about sex worker rights. And Jeffrey says, don't laugh. She's right. Yeah. And he would know because his mission is specifically to go out and murder some of them. <laughs> and so he's like, yeah, if you want to keep them safe, listen to this lady, because I'm going to take advantage of everything else I can. Right. I think that both of these movies do take a more pro-sex work perspective than I think you see in a lot of other movies where yeah. I think, you know, there's just a whole parade of dead sex workers on Law and & Order and, you know, any kind of noirish procedural or crime thriller, it's kind of uses that character as a set piece. Yeah. What do you think of prostitution? I guess as as a writer and a director writing it. Um, I mean, yeah, it definitely. I I don't know. I've I don't think I have written anything along prostitution lines, but um, I think. Yeah, I mean, I think it, it's it's a it's a it's a hijinks scenario only for I don't know what the horror equivalent of hijinks would be, but it's like a it, it's a good it's a good easy shorthand scenario where you can put the audience into the mindset of someone who has to go find one or of being in that situation of like I'm with a stranger uh, who I don't know. <laughs> That's a really good point. I feel like all stories or movies involving sex workers really lend themselves to vignettes because you're meeting a series of strangers. Like we saw the movie Zola together. Yeah. And that was about a woman who gets into this whole thing with uh, another woman who is a sex worker and has a pimp. And we don't know that he's the pimp until it's too late. Uh, and it, it kind of rolls out like a series of vignettes. Like we're going to go here, here and here and meet these series of people. Uh, and then probably my favorite movie of all time, which we'll talk about later. Uh, I've talked about it before. Knights of Kiberia movie also staged in vignettes where you go from one person to the next to see what her night is like. Uh, and then Frankenhooker 2 and Pretty Woman really lend themselves to that kind of format. Yeah, um, it's also... Um, uh, yeah, I agree. <laughs> but I also think that the prostitute character in a lot of stories is always the truth teller. Like, they can be not only the fish out of water, but the person who says what everyone's thinking or or tells the truth or or has the the line i don't know i i just i think it's rich for sure and i i i like stories that explore that perspective from a more empathetic angle 
Yeah, it's I definitely get the use of like you said using it as a mostly a plot device like in a noir or something. But uh but seeing it actually taken seriously. Both of these movies do take it seriously and seeing it taken seriously does kind of put things into a sort of perspective where like yeah, you can you can have fun with this. But also, it's a serious topic that, like, can't we all just get on board with some of the uh, basics and essentials? Right, like legalizing it. Yeah, right. I, I 100% agree, and I, I do prefer my hooker characters living rather than dead. Or I'll also take undead. Yeah, uh, and I think both of these movies deliver in a significant way. So. The question now is, where do we start? Uh, This recent viewing, I had never seen Pretty Woman. So I watched Pretty Woman first. And um, I I really liked it. So I'm kind of... Frankenhooker is easy. Frankenhooker is easy. Frankenhooker is a genius movie. Oh, I'm actually going (laughs) to... I just want to stop you to tell you that I completely agree with you. And it's... Five out of five. I loved it. I, I'm just going to throw that out there immediately. No suspense on what we thought no. about both movies. I loved Frankenhooker. It reminds me of a Jim Hosking movie. I just, I, it, it Frankenhooker is a She-Ra movie. It's a Brett movie and a She-Ra movie. It's one of those movies it's like It's a Necromancer movie. You know what it is? Yeah. It's like, uh, we always talk about how much we both love Running Scared. Frankenhooker is like a, another running scared where like this movie definitely pushes both of our buttons in the perfect way. It is already a romantic comedy. Um, but I, I actually yeah. also watched Pretty Woman first. So if we want to start there, we definitely can. Yeah, I would love to. All right. Well, let's get into it. da na 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 Big mistake. Wait, no, that's what I was supposed to say. Big mistake, Brett. Huge. Um, Yeah, I completely forgot that this was a song. (laughs) Yeah, it's a Roy Orbison song. Um, I'm here to remind you of those things, I guess. Uh, So I wanted to watch Frankenhooker, and we'll go into that during our Frankenhooker episode, but I kind of knew... I, I softballed it. I, I easy, I underhanded it to you as kind of like, if we're going to do a sex workers episode, there's obviously the big fish in, in the room or, or I don't know, whatever other movie you could think of. This is, this is definitely the one. And, you know, look, I spend a lot of the, I, I'm a romantic comedy fan. So I spend a lot of time on the internet talking about romantic comedy with other nerds who love it. And pretty woman comes up. This is a lot of people's favorite Julia Roberts movie, favorite romantic comedy. Like it is really up there. And For a long time, I actually scoffed at Pretty Woman. I'm not going to lie. I I saw it when I was younger, and I don't know, maybe it just didn't quite appeal to me, or there were parts of the movie that were really ugly that I just found very uncomfortable. Now I'm an adult, and and I'm like, okay, this works for this movie. 
Um, but I remember thinking like, oh, I like my best friend's wedding more or mm-hmm. um, I don't know. I'm trying to remember some other Julia Roberts movies we've seen. <laughs> Um, or I remembered liking uh, Notting Hill more. Uh, but actually now, I know your frowny face, I agree with it. I would say that I think Pretty Woman is a better movie uh, and a better written movie. I mean, it's Gary Marshall, so he he does it. And the, I, I actually ended up looking up the whole story about, so you know that there's this whole anecdote about how Pretty Woman was originally this dark, gritty film and had this, you know, dark ending. And actually, the screenwriter was totally happy to have the script rewritten and changed because his script got bought by Disney they had Gary Marshall direct it and Gary right. Marshall was like, uh, I'm going to rewrite the script to write a happy ending. And Lawton, the original screenwriter was like, awesome. Cool. I'm so excited for this movie to get made. He said it was like they built a skyscraper on top of a log cabin. Like he, he yeah. was totally <laughs> down for them to turn it into a fairy tale. Yeah, I, I could totally relate to that as someone who has scripts written. Like, if someone came up to me, there's there's certain scripts that I would be like, ah, I kind of want to keep this the way it is. But there's definitely ideas for things that I've had where I'm like, you know, this would be cool. But if someone else were to take it and do something completely different, like, yeah, it's a cool story. I'm glad someone got to use it to the and make the most out of it. Um. And yeah, I think they make the most out of this premise as a rom-com. <laughs> they do. They do. And I, you know, again, I didn't remember the movie very well. And I really feel like the dialogue stood out to me. This movie has pretty good dialogue and and the setups work. And rom-com nerd fact, you know who plays Mr. Morris in the movie? I don't know who that is. Is that the Ralph? Old... Yeah, the old man that Richard Gere secretly likes. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ralph who? Ralph Bellamy. The original Bellamy. So for people who are new to this podcast, Bellamy's are what we call the other guy character. And we call them Bellamy's because Ralph Bellamy was the original. He was always the other guy that the girl didn't get with in the movie. And He's in this movie. Yeah, I I completely forgot that Bellamy was based on an actual actor named Bellamy. But when I saw his name in the credits, I thought to like I made it into my notes. I was like, oh yeah, is that the Bellamy? It so, is yeah. the Bellamy. That's so cool. Yeah. And yeah, it would make sense that like Gary Marshall would put the Bellamy in his rom com. Oh yeah. Thing. And yeah. this this time around, I also caught a bunch of My Fair Lady references. Like, this is just oh, yeah. a whole cotton candy My Fair Lady fairy tale, but with kind of a little bit of an edge. Another thing I was reading about this movie was apparently Gary Marshall was getting bored at Disney after Beaches, I guess. And they were like, we need a script that Gary Marshall wants to do, so he'll stay. Right. And they gave him Pretty Woman, which was originally titled 3000. The uh, yeah. the writer was, I guess, he wrote it in the 80s and he was inspired by Wall Street. And so his whole premise was, what if one that, of these yeah. Wall Street guys 
got with a Hollywood Boulevard prostitute and they understood each other or something like that. So that was kind of like the DNA of uh, the movie. I thought it was really interesting. Yeah, that is really interesting. Like that definitely sounds like it could easily be turned into Oscar bait type (laughs) material. But yeah, I think it, it's one of those movies, kind of like The Mask, how The Mask is is based on a oh, horror that's comic right. that's uber violent. It's like it's like taking Deadpool and instead of making Deadpool PG thirteen, they made Deadpool PG, <laughs> and I think it fits for The Mask. Jim Carrey is amazing in that movie, right? And I think it works for this movie too. Everybody was glad to turn to the happy ending, although the dark ending to me doesn't sound that terrible. It's Vivian and Kit go to Disneyland and she has a graduate moment on the bus where she just stares off into space and I guess wonders what would have been. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. Because when, yeah, they they talk kind of a bit about the future in this movie and it does sound like, okay, so you want me to just go have a quote unquote normal life? Like I was thinking, yeah, that doesn't sound like a good fit for her. That is a horror ending. It it was the bad ending. Oh, and one more fact before we get into the summary. The other actors they were looking for for the main role. Did you know this? I've I've maybe heard. Oh, go ahead. Oh, I was going to just say Al Pacino and Michelle Pfeiffer. All right. That would make (laughs) that that would fit for 3000, but not Pretty Woman. (laughs) Right. Yeah, it it would have been a totally different movie with yeah. Al Pacino and Michelle Pfeiffer. That's the Wall Street meets Hollywood hookers story. That that makes sense. Speaking of which, we will need to watch Married to the Mob at some point, uh, but we will get there. That's a, a <laughs> Michelle Pfeiffer movie. It's great. Uh, all right, let's go ahead and get into it. All right, so... Um... Wikipedia it basically gives us a very quick setup and then jumps over all the hijinks and then closes us out with a bunch of details on the end. So I'm going to do my best to mix mix wiki with with our own loosey goosey skeleton. Uh, I'm we've with got you. we've got uh, Edward Lewis who is a high powered corporate raider from New York, and what he does is he buys struggling companies dismantles them into their own little parts and then sells off the parts for greater than what the company is worth. And he wants his girlfriend to accompany him on a business trip, but she says no and ends the relationship. So now as he's, as he's in Hollywood, like not his city and he doesn't have a date to go on all these business meetings with to be his like trophy wife, essentially trophy girlfriend, uh, he hops into his lawyer's super expensive car, the Lotus Esprit, or Esprit. Um, and then he doesn't really know how to drive a stick. It's a little goofy. He's a little fish out of water. And then we meet um, Vivian. Uh, we meet Vivian at her apartment first, right? And she's oh, got this. I love this... that. Where yeah, we get she... to see Vivian getting ready for the night, and she's looking for her money and the toilet tank. There's all these little details. 
Yeah, and yeah, so she's strapped for cash. She's got to avoid the landlord type of thing. She goes to her hidden stash of money, but it's already gone. And so then she sneaks out, and then she she meets she she walks by Hank Azaria, who didn't get I a know, credit, an, an just, opening credit just name. Just a clip. Yeah, just a just clip. A clip. Uh, so we get a little bit of Hank Azaria as a cop, and uh, there's there's deadliness in the streets right like there's women being murdered and there's not much the cops can do about it uh so vivian goes into some club and meets up with her roomie there the roomie is laura san giacomo and it's revealed that the roomie has spent their money on drugs and vivian doesn't like that for obvious reasons because they have to pay rent and so then uh they they find their way outside and they're talking and then richard gear pulls up and uh uh i do like the joke of him asking the the homeless man like for directions and he's like oh this is stallone's house i like uh, that too and then richard gear pulls up to to um julia roberts and she has to kind of s- sell herself to him yeah. And he only needs directions. And so it's great when she's like, hey, the price for directions is five bucks. Now it's 10. And she's like, I, he's like, I don't need to do that. She's like, well, I'm not the one asking for directions. So I can set the price. And then he sees her as an equal, like as a person who bargains for money and who's kind of like negotiating, good at negotiating, negotiation savvy. It's a good meet cute. I yeah. I like it and and I like it that it it kind of takes away the idea that he is there looking specifically for uh, a sex worker to pose as his girlfriend. It they kind of like fall into the plot rather than um uh it being something super forced. I also like that before he gets there, Vivian and Kit are arguing with another prostitute about who owns that corner. Oh yeah, and using the uh stars as Exactly. Landmark. Yeah, that was really that was really good. Um and so then while they're in the car, Julia Roberts reveals that she's super into cars. She knows a lot about cars. She's a gearhead. She's like Cameron Diaz. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, um, so essentially, he doesn't know how to drive the car that well. She offers to drive him to where he needs to go, and he takes her up on it. She, she drives super awesome in the super amazing car, and it's really cool. And then they get to the hotel, and then there's the obvious, like he goes to, um, he goes to say good night. But then there's that little bit of like, they really like each other. Like there's a little bit of spark there. So we have to, we have to nurture the spark and he invites her up. He's very nice to her, but he's still got to kind of cover her up. And, you know, she's still dressed for not a fancy hotel. And Um, she's, I like that. She's kind of bold about it too. Like she knows everybody's looking at her. She knows that, She's being judged, but she just leans into it. And she's not like the roomy character later who is kind of in your face about it. She's just like, no, this is just who I am. Um, but then they work their way upstairs and then they negotiate a, a price for the night. 
but he doesn't really he's not interested in sex he's got work to do he's like a kind of like a low-key workaholic and um right and uh so we just get to kind of mo- meet her and meet a little bit about her, get introduced to her personality and she's essentially kind of like i don't want to say she's like a kid but she's just got this like charmingly it's not that she's naive but she's optimistic she's charmingly optimistic about stuff um she's just got a good attitude about her she's having fun yeah and um so she does end up seducing him right they do end up spending the night together i wouldn't say she seduces him so much as she's watching i love lucy and then he gives her the come hither look and then she's like ah i guess it's go time their first intimate scene together is very ambiguous which i kind of liked like she would have been down to just keep watching i love lucy but it was go time no yeah you're right he does you're right he initiates the the uh the seduction but she's like i'm he's 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 a workaholic guy so he's tired and he's paying me to do the work i'm the sex Mm -hmm. worker so she's she gets into the driver's seat and takes him for another ride um and so then we we wake up in the morning and uh is it the morning or the night either way we get him and her negotiating a price for the entire week and um that's because he needs someone who's just again going to be his trophy girlfriend just going to be there to show that he's a stable kind of family man basic white collar cookie cutter american trustworthy kind of guy um and so she does do that she she takes on the deal and they arrange for three thousand dollars is the uh the arrangement that they come to and it's strictly business so no falling in love no kissing no kissing on the mouth you can kiss other places but not on the mouth and um so she's she's now tasked with this thing of she's got to get into character. She's essentially being the, the girlfriend experience. She's got to play the girlfriend. Uh, so she goes out. She He gives her some oh, I love this first scene. Yeah. She I love goes this whole storyline. It's great. She goes out to um, buy some nicer clothes. And she goes into a store. And they promptly embarrass her out of there. Humiliate her out of there. Tell Ask her politely demand politely snobbishly for her to leave and so she's she's kicked out she's kicked out of shopping she can't she can't do her job because of um the way that people see her and so she goes back to the hotel and here we meet barney who is ah i love bernard thompson he's her fairy godmother yeah that's what sonia said and i was like yeah you're right he is a fairy godmother um it's also monk's second therapist in the show monk he had two therapists and this guy was i do like that actor and so yeah that's how i know the actor so i was like oh yeah this is cool that i get to see him and julia roberts be these two kinds of characters which is he brings her into his office and he basically gives her a Michael Mann-esque talking to of like, hey, I gotta I gotta puff my chest here a little bit. I gotta establish the alpha dominance. This is my territory. 
I know that you're a sex worker, but you can't be coming around here because that's not the vibe we have. And so then he kind of, it's a little bit condescending in the way that he's like, you're his niece, right? The way that they kind of work out yes. that language, that code. Um, but then once she starts crying and she's like, I'm trying, I'm trying my best, but no one will help me. And then he makes the call and she's like, go ahead, call the police. But then it turns out he's calling her friend at the store and he's like, hey, I've got this this client coming over. Please take care of her. So then he like, I, I really liked it because, yeah, he's got to establish dominance. This is his territory. He's got a nose coming in and out. But also like he does see that like, oh, this isn't just your normal, your your quote unquote normal prostitute who you would expect from a, a quote unquote normal movie, right? Like a background character prostitute. She's a princess in disguise. That's the right. whole thing. Like she's she, a main character. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And and he he knows that that he's in a position to help her. Yeah, I, I like where it seems like they're going to get off on the wrong foot, and then he yeah. becomes her biggest ally. And even the elevator guy seems to be rooting for them too, even though he he doesn't have much to say. He's kind of like one of the mice, right? Um, and so then she goes out shopping and this lady, of course, knows the code because she's like, hey, he's not really my uncle. And like, they never they are. Never are. Yeah, and, that was a uh, great line. <laughs> and so then we go on to uh, the the first this we transfer over to the first business meeting. Right. Like he picks her up downstairs. He doesn't recognize her at first. It's a very good moment. Um and then they go on to the business meeting, right? Or do they go to a party first? No, they, they go to dinner with Morse and his son. All right, uh, right. The Bellamy. The Bellamy. And there's a little bit of My Fair lady before where she's like, hey, Barney, mm -hmm. I need your help. And then she doesn't know which fork to use and that kind of stuff. But then once she gets to the business meeting, it doesn't matter because, like, she has to go to the bathroom right away. She gets back. There's no salad. What do you mean the salad comes at the end? This is all out of whack. So all that work that she did, it's great because we get the fish out of water, but she was prepared for it. And there's still a, 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 a wrench thrown in there. So it's a really good play on on the like rom-com conventions yeah and and then morse comes in as the guy who says yeah i never understood it either and it's funny to watch her uh what is it uh, i think she she gets something fancy like faux gras and she scrapes it off the toast point and just eats the toast yeah and so it's she, she's out of place it's cute it's funny um and they're talking business it's really hard <laughs> to pay attention to the actual dialogue that's going on in some of these scenes because oh, the business Julia, doesn't matter because i mean it was it was really well written i thought because it was like it just it was like this really good undertow of like yeah this moves the character of richard gear along right we're establishing the idea that he's this bloodthirsty guy who's gonna take this cute character who's helping this cute old man character who's helping out our cute main character and this bloodthirsty wall street guy is gonna rip apart his dreams so we got to set that undertow of like no they they end up becoming good good buds um but julia roberts is so fidgety and so cute that she definitely steals the scene um as we intended go, <laughs> uh we go back to um 
to spend more time with Richard Gere and her at night. And, um, Oh yeah. They have the sexy piano time. Yeah. So how did you feel about the piano scene? I, I was, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, this movie, they do have, they do have a more sex than you see in the average rom-com and yeah, I'm for it. Have your sexy piano time. Uh, and yeah, they, they have their kissy time later and, their sexy apology scene it, I, it worked for me yeah um it's a little bit awkward because it's in public but that idea of it well, being really in public and night. out of his comfort zone and the idea of like the piano clanging and like it's not a it's not a raw it's not like a seductive romantic scene in the sense that like the candles are lit and the music is playing nice. It's awkward and clunky. And doesn't she have to remind him like, no, don't kiss on the mouth. Like she does it physically, but I don't know. It's a little awkward, but it kind of fits because it's not meant to be super sexy. Not yet. We got to hold on to that for later. um, When they're actually in love. Right. Right now it's, it's business, but they're, they're starting, there's a spark and it's building. Yeah. And so then, um, the next, the next thing they kind of do is they go to the opera before she does more shopping, right? We get the opera scene. No, no, no. The opera is after, so she, she does more shopping, right? So, <laughs> and like he gives her the card this time. I think she tells him about the rudeness that she yeah, experienced. Yeah, she says so. she's pouting and she's like he's like what? It wasn't fun to just take all my money and go shopping. She's like no, they were mean to me. And he's like all right, I'll fix that. And then we get Larry Miller. Oh, Larry Miller. What a great What a great part for the role or person Another for the role. person like Hank yeah. Azaria who just pops up and it's like, oh, hey, it's the dad from 10 Things I Hate About You, right? Isn't that him? Yeah. Yeah. And and yeah, we, we don't see him again. But then we get my favorite part of this entire movie, which is when she goes back to those nasty women and says, big mistake, huge. And then she walks out and says, I've got shopping to do. Yeah, it's... It's meant to be one of those moments where she, where it's karma and she gets to have her one-upness of them. And sometimes that can be like a backhandedly cringy, but Julia Roberts in this moment is so lovable and sells it so much. Uh, She's it's, only 22 it's, here, like 21 wow. or 22. She was very young when this movie came out. Like this was right after Steel Magnolias, I think. Yeah, I I did wonder how much of this was starstruck stardom. Like, I didn't know where Julia Roberts was in her in her career. So, like, if this kind of five star hotel experience would be something that she genuinely was kind of going through for the first time, or if she was like, I don't know Julia Roberts's backstory, so I don't know if she grew up with wealth or what. But she she plays the I'm I'm charmed by it vibe very perfectly. Um, Oh, yeah. Her childlike wonder is very authentic. Uh, And so then we go to the opera. 
Wait, and, no, no, no. You missed okay. the whole horse race. <laughs> so I thought the, the horse race was after. I just really want to get to the opera for some reason. No, okay. So the horses are first. We got to talk about the horses because gotcha. that's another My Fair Lady reference. Yes. Because she does the whole whooping when the when they're playing polo and people turn like, oh, who is who is she? And then oh, Jason Alexander is just disgusting. Yeah. And Richard Gere does try to like pawn her off on the other trophy wives and she's and they're like being snooty to her and she's like, I'm just using them for sex and walks away and goes back to him. And I she's loved like, it. She's like, so tell me more about your I always like how she's like, just tell me more about you. Tell me more about your business. I'm interested in how things work and how like, yeah, when she was before she was a prostitute and she was in small town, Georgia or whatever, she uh everyone around her like cars so she was like yeah just tell me about cars i can learn about cars she's good at asking and listening and learning um and so yeah we get the horses thing and that's where richard gear reveals to her that she's a prostitute because he thinks she is a corporate spy which right, he's paranoid uh, she would he's paranoid she would later on become a corporate spy in duplicity great movie um but uh yeah so again another good way to genuinely within the world reveal to him that that he is a that she is a prostitute so that then that character can use that against her and she can be mad at richard Gere for revealing it but we know the reason why and they do kind of like they get over the initial reason why of Listen, he thought you were a corporate spy, had no other choice. And she's like, yeah, but this cloud is still going to hang over us for our entire relationship if this is something that proceeds to, you know what I mean? If this is something she's that we like. to leave. And yeah. I liked that he apologized more than once. And then it was the first time it wasn't really sincere. And he just kind of tried to explain his way out of it, like you said. And yeah. then right as she's leaving, he... He gives a sincere apology and it acknowledges her feelings. And you get that bit with the elevator guy seeing if she's going down and then stepping away and looking up. Yeah. And just pretending that he didn't see any of this drama. Right. And then the next time we see um, uh, the, the bellhop guy sees the two is when he gives her the the necklace or something right and so it's like a, she's like oh you make me feel really nice so it's like he got to see the the lowest of the low and then he got to see the highest of the high it was really nice uh he's a great character but yes then we get to the opera then we get to the opera so he's like i'm gonna take you someplace special and then they have to fly to san francisco to go to the opera so it's a whole big thing and then he's like the opera is like it's like your first time at the opera. And I don't know. I think he's being a little bit cringy about it. And he's being a little self-obsessed oh, about so it. Oh, pedantic. <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, if you don't like it the first time, then you'll never feel it in your soul. Yeah, he's gatekeeping. He he's gatekeeping opera. He's like, he's even if you totally... don't like it the first time, but you do eventually come around, uh, it's still not going to be the same. Like you really have to like. Oh yeah, it. he says it'll never touch your soul. Yeah, all right, guy. But she she knows tragedy. She knows women and tragedy and love. So she gets it and she's moved by it, and it's really nice. And so then, um, 
so how do we get from here to the breakup? <laughs> so they have a beautiful time at the opera and uh, we were winding up on those final days. Her influence on him causes him to decide to, instead of taking over Morse's company, join up with him, right? Right. Okay. But at the same time, he also (laughs) makes this offer of basically making her his permanent mistress. Like he's like, I've arranged for an apartment and blah, 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 blah. Like I'm going to provide you with all these things. And yeah, he's essentially uh, like, let's keep it on the first date fun. Like the, you know, the first wave fun. Let's not, he's a typical guy. He's like, Hey, the perfect relationship is, we're in love, so you stay here in this city while I go earn the money, and then when I come back, we can do all the fun stuff I like. Exactly, yeah. exactly. And he's like, well, at least you won't be on Hollywood Boulevard, and she says, it's a good line, she says, that's just geography. Yeah. Uh, and he also says, I never treated you like a prostitute before he leaves, and she says, you just did. Yeah, that was a that was a cold move on his part. I did not like him in that moment. Um, yeah, so yeah. You, you have that, and then her whole thing with Kit and Cinder, Cinder Fucanella, when she's like, "Who's made this work?" and right. they're like, "The fairy tale." Yeah, uh, <laughs> uh, sorry, uh, but the also puppy just came over to smell me. Uh, yeah, but yeah, so go you ahead. You smell like podcast. Uh, um and so yeah i would say the reason why i forgot that is because we'll talk about it at the end but richard gear all right fast so i was the kind of husband you cheat on like the movie unfaithful (laughs) uh, such a saltine cracker of a person and so i was julia roberts life I was actually, I had a little bit of tears in my eyes when Barney said goodbye to her because I liked her and Barney. And when he's like, it was a pleasure knowing you. Feel free to stop by anytime. You're, I like you. You're great. And she's like, I like you too, Barney. Thank you for giving me a shot and seeing me as a person and a human. Oh, her and Barney, they need a movie together. I loved, yeah, I loved their relationship. It's kind of like the dynamic between Michael Caine and Sandra Bullock and Miss Congeniality, where it's just these characters together just work, and you want to keep seeing scenes with them, where it's like, I'm not invested in Richard Gere's white guy redemption. It's just not, (laughs) it's not that interesting to me. Um, but yeah, they, but the worst scene is when freaking Jason Alexander oh, yeah. comes to the penthouse to confront her and he slaps Julia Roberts. Yeah. How he gets super rapey and he gets, uh, he gets handsy and he, he does give her a little slap in. So, so Richard Gere has got to come and do a little bit of punching. Um, yeah, it, it was, a. It was a good scene. Just it was just the right amount of scummy spice to put on the movie to just be like, all right, let's get George Costanza in there to 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 creep things up a bit. Richard Gere gives him a solid fifties style haymaker, and then right. he leaves the movie. He's out of there. Right. I feel like that was a that was a holdover from three thousand. Yeah. That scene. 
Um, uh, Al Pacino would have gone crazy. Oh yeah. Uh, and so then, yeah. Speaking of white guy redemption, uh, it, Richard Gere shows up in the limo. The the oh Barney once again fairy godmother moment. He he says, gives him he gives him the glass slipper. Yep. And then he says, hey, go to, you know, the driver knows where she is. He shows up with the champagne and the flowers. And he's like, hey, I'm a fairy tale prince charming. I'm coming up to save you, even though I'm scared of heights. And then the movie movie wisely ends on her getting the fairy tale ending and not the graduate ending. Yeah, yeah, I don't think the graduate ending would have been good for this. And this movie has a good nobody's perfect with she rescues him right back. Yeah, that was really nice because he did rescue her, but she did the same amount of rescuing. She did rescue him. She saved him from a life of dismantling things. And, and he gets to build a future with his his legacy and now with his the love of his life. So... I yeah, thought it was a he's a walking Grey Poupon commercial. Yeah, I thought it was a great movie. I think just like Notting Hill, I think Julia Roberts carries this movie big time, but also like Gary Marshall knows how to make a rom-com. So it's not like she had to carry the movie, but they do wisely put the movie on her shoulders and yeah, Julia Roberts. Wow, 10 out of 10. America's sweetheart. What a role. She did it. You know, it's funny you say that she is in a movie called America's Sweetheart. Oh, right. She is not America's Sweetheart. Catherine Zeta-Jones playing her sister is. But even in that movie, she shines. She carries it. She makes it fun. Yeah. And so uh, as... As I was watching the movie, I kept, I really liked the movie, but I kept just thinking, who could play, who could play Richard Gere's part better? So I can like do this, this deep faking, this instantaneous deep fake onto the movie to, to make it just a little bit spicier. And so I asked Sonia, I was like, who would be a good, uh, it's, it's, I like this movie a lot, but just who would be a, who would be better than Richard Gere? And she said, Mr. Sheffield. And I was like, oh, my God, yeah. And she's like, yeah, that's Shira's pick. That, that was that was Shira's idea, like Mr. Sheffield. And I was like, yes, Mr. Sheffield would have been perfect in this movie. Yeah, a, a more warm Sheffield type would have been great. Uh, or, you know, when we were talking over Messenger, I also was thinking Tony Goldwyn, Hollywood royalty, his first car was almost certainly a limo, so he can definitely play from experience. He's sexy. He's funny. Um, yeah, and so I, I, I really like the movie. Um, having deep faked Mister Sheffield onto it because I really did appreciate. <laughs> I appreciated the Zen approach that Richard Gere went for in turning this scummy character into a low-key nice guy without being the full nice guy TM kind of nice guy, even though he skirts on that a little bit, right? When he's like, I never treated you like a prostitute. Like, okay, he skims TM nice guy there a little bit, but um, he is a good character that you do want to see end up with her. But uh, yeah, his, his, his 
his boring, cold approach to it was not doing it for me. I also thought of Steven Weber or Tim Daly, who are the two main guys from Wings. And Wings is another thing that Sonia introduced me to where I was like, eh, this looks dumb. And then as she was watching it in the background, I was like, oh, shit, this is really, really good. Those two guys in Wings are 90s sitcom actors, and they are so warm and so fun and so instantly likable. Uh, Yeah, I just think Julia Roberts needed a warmer candle to flicker with instead of having to melt down his cold, icy exterior or whatever. Right, right. Yeah, Yeah. he was such a, you know, there's an ice, there's ice queens. He's an ice king for sure. Yeah. So I gotta, we gotta ask the question. I think it's pretty obvious, at least it is for me. Who would you kill from this movie? Yeah, I mean... I uh, yeah, I don't know. Stucky, a hundred percent stucky. I gotta go, Stucky. I I really liked it because Sonya had already seen the movie. I had not. Like most Julia Roberts movies, like uh, her 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 go to rom com movies, I haven't seen a lot of those for her until this podcast. Sonia was like, oh, do you think uh, George Costanza is going to turn into a little bit of a bad guy for this movie? Like right at the beginning of the movie. And I was like, (laughs) what? No, I don't think he's not a bad guy. There's no way he's going to turn into a bad guy. But of course, since she said that to me the whole time, I was thinking, "Okay, when does he turn bad guy? When does he turn bad guy? Um, But yeah, he's got a good bad guy turn. Like he goes from kind of loki-ish hijinksy like i'm just gonna meddle to you're a fucking hooker and i'm going to treat you like a piece of meat <laughs> uh so he, he does a good heel turn oh yeah he's he's just awful but yeah i i would kill stucky for sure even though i mean i feel like richard gear will just kill me by being boring <laughs> but yeah of of the two the worst offender is definitely stucky uh so how was writing the horror version i as i said before this podcast i have puppy brain uh, the delightful noises, Joe, like we're we're living we're living that puppy life. So I I I'm kind of once again phoning it in on <laughs> on both of mine. Um, but I actually spun out a, a premise that I liked at least. It would need to be fleshed out. How about you? Uh, so we'll talk about it much more in the Frankenhooker episode, but. I have a very giallo heavy take on that movie and my love bite for that movie. So giallo is Italian horror. So I went the Italian horror route for this movie because I think the obvious thing to do would be to turn this into a Hitchcockian thriller. But I think you've, you've got the better Hitchcock takes and I've got some good giallo takes. So I went with the Jello route. That's how I turned this into a horror movie. I don't, um, I don't have a, you know, uh, whatever. I can't remember the word I'm thinking. I don't have a monopoly on thrillers. I totally invite you 
to do some thrillers. I I remember when we did Arthur, I wrote a Brett movie. I had a lot of fun doing that. So yeah. highly encourage you. No, I think you you have a better batting average with thrillers, but I love when you go for those home runs. Um but um yeah, I went I went kind of safe with a thriller, but I went with the crazy giallo aspect of it. So I really leaned into giallo. Nice. Um all right. I don't have a name for it, of course. I, I hate if a name doesn't come to me right away, then I don't like to spend a lot of time on it. But what I'm gonna do is I'm just gonna break down this movie into essentially the skeleton of pretty woman. But then I'm going to give you the giallo spin. So if you don't know, Italian horror movies have a very Italian horror sense and sensibility about them. They, um, it's, a, it's a definite taste. It's a definite niche taste. But we're going to start with the Laura scene. So the roomie scene where, where um, Vivian has to get her money. And so she goes to the club and, you know, we get to see some of her life in turmoil but then she goes to the club and she has to do an interrogation with her roommate. This is where we set up the fact that Vivian were boom right away going with the twist of her being twins and they have a psychic oh, connection. Prestige. So or Constantine. Or uh a little bit of a doppelgangeriness Hitchcockian thriller of um Vertigo, right? A little bit of yeah. that. Um, and so here we go. <laughs> We're going to do an interrogation scene where they are psychically connected. So one of the twins, Vivian one, is in the the room, their, their apartment room. And Vivian two is at the club with the roommate. And while the roommate is trying to bluff her way into like, oh, the, the, the money is in the couch cushion then Vivian one can look under the couch cushion and feed that information psychically. But we got to do it like visually, we got to make it cinematic. So um, then Vivian makes her way outside. She's picked up by Richard Gere and we can, um, we can make it again, flirty with how she gets into his car because if they're doing this psychic established connection thing, Vivian one can be Googling Richard Gere as, as they're flirting and as she's trying to sell herself to him because he's a famous CEO guy. So of course he's got like a Wikipedia page. So she's going to use that information to seduce him. Um, and then she also is going to, uh, once she gets him into the hotel room, They've got they they've both got this chest puffiness about them where like they both are trying to establish themselves as the alpha of the room where he's like I'm the big businessman guy I'm go- and you're my sex worker so you're gonna do it the way I like it but she's like no I'm I'm the the I'm the alpha of the room so she gets into like a dominatrix mode I really liked in Frankenhooker when the <laughs> when Frankenhooker is like hey you you're coming with me and the guy's like really into it. Oh yeah, I think even <laughs> so when, great. when she takes off his head, he's like, "This is the best night of my life." <laughs> yeah, he's super into it. So we're gonna get a little bit of that, but in like a, a a thriller kind of way. So while she is having sex with him, 
the other lady is going to be on the street and someone's going to the other her twin is going to be on the street and someone's going to get violent with her so we're going to get a glimpse into her like psycho crazy violent mode so as she's having sex with richard gear she's also killing uh, a dirty john and um and so then we get more crazy like stoker vibes there where like the sex is also a turn on and then he propositions her to be there for the week. And so then she goes, instead of going shopping, we're going to do strategy. And so it's going to be Ooh. like Mission Impossible where we've got to like plan a heist. And so what she's going to do is she's going to kill all the corporate businessmen while she's seducing Richard Gere. So again, while she's having sex with Richard Gere, she's killing off these corporate businessmen. And... We're just going to do that, and we're going to get a She's a monster. Yes. We're going to get a giallo cop. In a lot of giallo movies, there's always this cop side plot, and so we're going to get a cop side plot. And whenever she's in normal business meetings with Richard Gere out in the day, she's super normal. She's, like, extremely normal. So as the cop is talking to all of Richard Gere's friends – they're like, hey, yeah, she's just this normal lady. But as he's talking to Vivian's friends, they're like, she's fucking crazy. Uh, but then oh. we just raise the stakes. We raise the stakes. We raise the stakes. Yada, yada, yada. At the end, it's Giallo Twist Uber revealed that he's got a detective who's been keeping track of her. So he knows that she has a twin. And Vivian's like, well, you should have done something. Now that you know, I have to kill you. And then Richard Gere's like, well, actually, the detective is an old war buddy of mine or something, and he's got no problem taking Korean war movie. Right? And so then the detective who's been following around the psychic twin Vivian is also a hitman, so he's killing the twin Vivian. So when he shoots the twin, she dies, and then the Vivian with Richard Gere twin falls into his arms. So as she's dying a tragic, alone in the streets death she's also dying the romantic richard gear is like i'll walk you through your last moments of life death oh. and uh so it's very seductive but it's also very tragic and it's a very good giallo downer ending but also she gets she gets what she deserves because she's going around killing people and does goblin do the soundtrack oh yeah big time <laughs> soundtrack I'll by goblin Always got to have that soundtrack by Goblin. Um, so that's the Giallo way to do Pretty Woman. Uh, Giallo movies are also very, usually sex positive. Uh, it makes yeah. sense. Italians, the Italians, right? Yeah, yeah, no, it does. It yeah. definitely does. Even though they play the victim in a lot of the Giallo movies, they've, they're usually done with a, a very sex positive spice. So... Yeah, I'm curious to know to know your puppy pitch. My puppy pitch, since puppy I have pitch. puppy, I have my puppy pitch, accompanied by squeaks, <laughs> and uh, with my puppy brain. I, I mean, I guess you could say I kind of wrote a little bit of a Brett movie. Um, yeah, but I'm excited. I, I didn't really add as many details as I could. You're going to have to flesh it out with more Brett details. Uh, but I decided to call it Witchy Woman because, you know, Pretty Woman has the needle drop with Pretty Woman. So yep. why not do Elaine's favorite song, Witchy Woman? 
and that'll be like we can put it in the trailer we can definitely do like a moment in the movie where it's like down down uh yeah i think that would be great so witchy woman uh vivian ward and kit deluca moonlight as prostitutes but they are also witches so a little bit of giallo there too a little little bit of a little spice Edward Lewis is a corporate raider that wants to take control of an OnlyFans style platform and is sabotaging them by pressuring banks to reject transactions, thus making the CEO consider removing adult content from the platform, just like the real OnlyFans. Right. And Vivian and Kit's livelihood is threatened by this, and they want to end the conspiracy and they have to use dark magic to get to the source. So the witches curse Edward and the bank CEOs with the curse of Osiris, which means that every man will lose a limb of his body piece by piece unless they can steal the parts of the other cursed people to reattach to themselves, forming a new body. So now these cutthroat capitalists have to literally be at each other's throats. And of course, Edward, he's the most cutthroat of them all. So he steals all the best body body parts of himself for himself as his are falling away. Like, and he manages to basically become a monster Franken capitalist because at this point everybody else has perished, but he's the remaining one. And now we're getting closer to the third act because we've kind of breezed through the, the beginning of the movie Vivian and Kit have to stop this monster that they've created. So they have to use their magic to defeat them. But I also think because they're witches they also have to sacrifice something of themselves to Osiris. So maybe they each cut off a finger or maybe one of them Van Gogh's herself. Uh, but, you know, something really like gross where it's like, ooh, she really did that. Mutilation. Cronenberg um, stuff. Uh, but then we get the final showdown where they face off with Edward in the penthouse of the Regent Beverly Wilshire. And I would like to think that the fight should end with all three of them crashing out of the window and falling onto a parked limousine in front of the Regent Beverly Wilshire. And Bernard can be a side character who's kind of like you know the manager of the john wick hotel but he's a witch too maybe he's a warlock and then i decided to bring back the original ending but now with a happy spin (laughs) where vivian and kit celebrate their victory by going to disneyland Oh, I like it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, this also sounds very Korean slash Japanese, very anime in the sense that I could imagine (laughs) this this Frankenstein Richard Gere type monster meeting up with other corporate CEO body parted monsters and then them having like, well, I've got the punch of a of a boxer. Oh, well, I've got the like them going back and forth with how they're going to win the fight. And then as they fight, they're calling out their super moves. 
and then their their body parts are falling off mid fight and they're like willingly sacrificing certain parts and oh yeah no i would love to make yeah. it very stylized anime like i again frankenhooker inspired me i just every turn minute by minute that movie got even better uh and so of course i was like now that that's in my brain why not make my pretty woman whore have some of that spice yeah <laughs> i like it all right well I guess that is all for today. Before we get into our love bites, just want to remind you to follow, subscribe, and rate us wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also follow us on social media at NecromancerPod. So what do you got for us today in terms of love bites? All right. Well, you said that you were putting off your pitches a little bit because you were playing with Puppy. Um, I was playing as Spider-Man. I, I just I, oh. I just got into the Marvel Spider-Man game. I've been putting it off for a long time because it's one of those games that's like, I've heard such good things about it, but I also love Spider-Man. Uh, I was like, I don't, what if it's not like, oh, I just, I just don't want to not like it. But I started playing it, and there is a little bit of a, a steep learning curve with some of the combat. I got my butt kicked for, like, the first quarter of the game. Just, like, random thugs on the street would be taking me down left and right. And I was like, poor Spider-Man. But this game is amazing. It is amazing. First of all, it's a great Spider-Man story. It's a great Peter Parker story. They go into the world of Spider-Man with some things already have been established, but... Things like Doc Ock and and Harry Osborn and Green Goblin and Norman Osborn, all that stuff. Like none of that's kind of happened yet, but we have people like the Shocker and the Rhino and Vulture and Scorpion, and we've got this new guy. And it just, I mean, I've heard people say this about other games, but like they say the the traveling is so great, you don't ever want to use fast travel. I think I've used fast travel in this game twice. And it's swinging around New York City and just stopping a random crime as Spider-Man. All the Spider-Man costumes, you get to do so many costumes. It just, I, I have not stopped playing the game. The very first thing I did was I did all the side missions. And so now Ooh, I get to just blast through the story. Yeah, so I was kind of, oh, I, that's why I was getting my butt Are you overpowered so now? Uh, I've gotten to the point where now I've, I'm in the end game and, and people are starting now they've got like jetpacks and, and energy swords and whips and it's, it's, they're throwing a lot of stuff at me, but I'm Spider-Man. I got my spider sense. I got my web gadgets and it makes you feel like Spider-Man and it's so great. Oh, that sounds great. I like what you said about not fast traveling because I did yeah. the same thing when I played final fantasy 15, because you could, you could set up your skill tree to get extra AP for slow travel by car. And I was like, whatever, I'll just rack up AP, right. listen to a book while I watch my characters drive their convertible. This is right. awesome. Yeah. Um, but, oh my God. And swinging around, like when you, when I first started swinging, it was super awkward and just getting used to the physics. But as you upgrade and you do the challenges, there's like 
certain challenges that are timed and stuff and it can get a little bit frustrating but if you put forth the energy to like learn how the game wants you to play doing all those side challenges has now just made me a skyscraping zip lining web slinging expert like now i can just do it like it's second nature and it's oh it's so satisfying i love spider-man so much you're living the dream living the dream um yeah so how about you what's your love bite i know that i've recommended this movie before specifically in our italian episode but i want to recommend once again one of my favorite movies of all time knights of cabiria it's directed by federico fellini cabiria is a prostitute and this is about her knights and it's just a wonderful movie. And she is an incredible character. One of the ways that uh, Fellini described her is there's some characters that you still think about and worry about after the movie's over. Yeah. Uh, and Kabiria is that character. Uh, and it's just, uh, it's dark, it's light, it's funny, it's tragic. It'll make you laugh. It'll make, it make me cry. It's got great music, an amazing original score, but all those Italian movies have awesome music. You're a Jallo yeah. fan, you know. Oh, yeah. Uh, but if you've never seen this movie, I highly encourage you to watch it. If you're curious what She-Ra's favorite movie ever, it's this one. All right. I'll have to, since it's the second time recommending it, I'll have to actually sit down and watch it. Have you ever done a twofer before? I was trying to remember if you'd recommended a film more than once on here. Um, I probably have in the way that I usually do in, in terms of kind of cheating. I, <laughs> I like to cheat a lot with my love bites, but um, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. That's a good question. Well, tell us, how would Big Daddy Mars turn a trick? Um, <laughs> cash? Got money? No credit card? <laughs> <laughs> Necromancer is produced by Brett Dorman and Shira Moore. The theme song is Symphonia 3 by Kevin McLeod on the album Oddities. <laughs>